Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. This um, last week at the um, Awakening Joy course that I uh, that I teach, uh, we had as the guest speaker <clears throat> uh, Tukten Jimpa, who is um, the Dalai Lama's uh, translator, English translator for the last thirty years. Uh, if you've seen the Dalai Lama uh, either in person or uh, uh, on video, and uh, he's uh, generally, uh, most likely, you would recognize Tupton Jimpa, um, who's just this really, uh, what can I say, this beautiful, beautiful man. When I, I started uh, thinking about the course this year, uh, and we have uh, we have know somebody in common. Uh, my one dream for the course was, and I knew that he was writing a book on compassion. Uh, was I want to have Tupton Jimpa come and speak? And there he was. So lo and behold, and I, there was a part of me that was saying, "Wow, how did that happen? That this little insecure kid from Queens has the got." Or is running this course, and the Dalai Lama's translator is coming up here, and I had goosebumps because uh, it was really special for me. Um, and as I said, you know, if if I couldn't get the Dalai Lama to talk about compassion, then at least I got his mouthpiece, and who's been channeling him for the last thirty years. Uh, and he uh, he's written this uh, really lovely book. Um, called A Fearless Heart, How the Courage to be Compassionate Can Transform Our Lives. Uh, And uh, Jimpa is, uh, besides being a a professor, adjunct professor at McGill University, he's also on the faculty of the Stanford Sea Care Program, the uh, um, Cultivating Compassion... Uh, uh, altruism research uh, and research education uh, project. We're training people in uh, compassion and in teaching compassion um, is the is the focus. <clears throat> and besides what he he shared, and I want to share a little bit about from his book and about. Uh, uh, what he shared, um, it was so clear that practice really works uh, because it was even more than uh, than the words. It was just his presence was so um, gentle, kind, wise, and and deep. Um, so it was a real honor uh, for me. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the main point that I came away with. He gave a number of different teachings. But uh, in this program, and the book is uh, a lot based on that Sea Care program, which he helped develop the, the curriculum for. 
uh, and uh, the um, cultivating compassion training, CCT training that, that comes out of that C-Care program. Uh, he talked to a, in a number of um, aspects about compassion, um, but uh, the heart of it was the understanding that the heart of altruism and compassion um, is the perception of a shared humanity. Uh, when when you do loving kindness practice, if you've done loving kindness or metta practice, um, besides uh, starting out uh, for with yourself and then with the benefactor, and then you open up to different categories. We've talked about this here a, a number of times. Um, as you get to um, the more challenging categories of the difficult the difficult person, maybe I know what I'm going to do. So starting out with, uh, with yourself and then moving to other categories as a way to extend and connect with, uh, with another and sending loving kindness or compassion or uh, sympathetic joy to another uh, Often the phrase that's used is, um, as I want to be happy, so may, uh, so may others be happy. As I want, just as I want to be free of suffering, so may you be free of suffering. And when he, um, when I asked him, well, what would you say is the the essence of cultivating compassion and he said well i like to sum it up in three words just like me and in this culture of sound bites uh that's a a simple and profound one to hang out with so really what this talk is is just a, a way to kind of plant that soundbite as a practice for all of us uh, as we uh, are developing compassion. As long as we don't have that connection, it's easy for us to... um, not only easy, but it's usual for us to see other. They are different from me. And when there is other, there is either fear or there is competition or there is not enough or who's going to be on top But as soon as those barriers are seen through, which is really the the gift of seeing through the selfless nature of reality that the barriers are lifted, as soon as they're lifted, there is this sense that there's not a real difference. 
And when we can feel that connection, as soon as there's this sense of, oh, I can imagine who that person is or what that person feels, even if they're very different from you, um, the heart is concerned and connected. And I wanted to share with you couple of things from uh, from the book that I thought were interesting a couple of studies this is uh, um, one area in which the close link between our compassionate concern and our sense of identification with another has been known for some time, is charitable, charitable giving behavior. Identifiable victim effect, that's the term, refers to our preference for giving to individual victims as opposed to anonymous victims of misfortune, suggesting that our identification with the victim influences our compassion for his or her plight. This phenomenon appears to be, in fact, part of a larger psychology of compassion. We tend to feel compassion more easily for real people than for an abstract idea of humanity, for a concrete individual than for a group of people, for someone who is identifiable than for someone who remains anonymous, for someone who is actually suffering than for someone who might suffer. This is the reason we respond so much more dramatically to a photograph of one individual in distress than we do to statistics that cite thousands of people who need our help. You know, you read a a story like Nepal, the the tragedy in Nepal, and the mind can hardly take in the enormity, the immensity of the suffering, but then you read about one child you know, who survives or one family that had a particular tragic loss and the heart gets touched and either moved with, with delight or joy if, oh, that baby survived three days in the rubble. Oh, thank goodness. You know. um, but... Uh, but not really able to take in the bigger picture. And here's the study. I thought this is really interesting. Um, Let's see. Where is it? Mm. A colleague at Stanford, um, psychologist Brian Knudsen and his team, recently discovered the neural underpinnings of this identifiable victim effect. They conducted an experiment with Stanford undergraduates using different sets of images. One set included a photo of a child with a name, a photo without a name, a silhouette with a name, and a silhouette without a name. The other set used just two images, a photo with a name and a silhouette with a name. Participants were paid $15 per hour for their time, as well as an endowment of $15 
paid up front so that they actually had the money in their pockets. They were informed that the researchers had established a partnership with a children's refugee orphanage in the Darfur region of Sudan for which each subject would be asked to donate from their endowment money. In the experiment, the images were followed by one screen with an amount requested, another with a choice of yes or no, ending finally with a neutral screen. As expected, they found that subjects preferred to give more when the victim was more identifiable, that is, when a photograph was shown rather than a silhouette. Also, picture trumped name, as they gave more after a photograph with no name than after a silhouette with a name. When it comes to compassion, our feelings closely follow our perception. And then another interesting experiment, and that is if you can have some kind of perceived connection with someone, uh, it influences uh, you in, uh, in a number of ways. And let me see if I can find this. The Power of Perceived Similarity. Two American psychologists demonstrated through a creative experiment how perceived similarity, even a trivial one, between us and another person influences our concern and compassion for that person. The study paired two people, one a real participant and the other a confederate, someone hired by the research team, in a series of activities. In the first part, the two participants sitting opposite each other, each with a computer monitor in front, were asked to tap their hands on sensors as they listened to tunes being played over headphones. The participants had been randomly assigned into two groups, one in which the pairs tapped in synchrony, that is, they had the same music, and one in which the tapping didn't match. The participants then witnessed their tapping partner, the confederate, unfairly assigned, oh, witnessed the tapping partner, their tapping partner, who was the confederate, unfairly assigned to complete a host of boring tasks and were given the opportunity to help. You got it? Is it with me? What the researchers found was that the simple act of synchronized tapping for as short as three minutes dramatically influenced the way participants felt about their tapping partner. Those who engaged in synchronized tapping reported feeling greater similarity with their partner. They also displayed greater compassion when their partner was unfairly penalized. Amazingly, 31% more participants in the synchronized tapping group helped their partners with the assigned work than in the out-of-sync group. And they spent an average of more than seven times as long helping. One of the uh, 
study uh, researchers writes, there's nothing special about tapping in synchrony. Any commonality will do. Often, he points out, we have a choice. Do we see our neighbor as a different ethnicity or as a fan of the same local restaurant? The latter will increase our compassion. So if there's some kind of feeling of kinship, the heart opens and you naturally want to help. If there is not that perceived kinship, they're just other. Unless you have developed some compassion in yourself, which can happen naturally. Or if you practice compassion and practice that connection, this has a a dramatic effect. Now, the interesting thing is that um, this is... Uh, there's a kinship not only in shared humanity, but in um, uh, even beyond uh, our species. And uh, just as an aside, I wanted to read to you uh, one other passage from uh, my favorite book on compassion, uh, which is uh, called The Compassionate Life by uh, Mark Ian Barish. And what he did, it's a fabulous book. I gave a series of talks on it uh, a number of years ago. Um, he uh, describes how a research scientist put some yogurt in a Petri dish near him and placed some electrodes in the dish. The needle just sat there. He then asked Mark to think of a deeply disturbing emotional experience. And this is Mark writing. Rummaging through memory, I had a sudden flash of my sister's death, and I was flooded with a surge of grief. At that very moment, all by itself, the needle on the meter buried itself in the red zone, then oscillated wildly back and forth. We hadn't touched anything. The box was hooked up to nothing except the yogurt. Strawberry, my favorite. Nothing in the room had changed but my feelings. When I switched my mental focus back to my surroundings, the needle went still. Okay, the researcher said, now think of an incident of physical pain. I called to mind a recent medical checkup that had involved taking several blood samples. The needle kicked fitfully like a man whose sleep had been disturbed. He had me remember a moment of profound embarrassment. I'm not telling. And again, the needle twitched abruptly as if in response. What was being revealed here, he claimed, was that all living creatures, from microorganisms to pets to people, resonate to the field of the human heart. So, in some ways... Yogurt is more responsive than if we don't feel a connection to somebody. <clears throat> Come back to your basic yogurt uh, mentality or heart. Um, just like me, and in this world, how much of the time we see 
we don't see that just like me. We see other. And in war, the one of the the main ways that uh, that human beings can be convinced to kill other human beings is either dehumanizing them or demonizing them, uh, that they are less than human. There's a, a, a quite an extraordinary book that Sam Keen wrote called Faces of the Enemy, and he goes through um, many, many um, uh, wars where the uh, oppressor um, gets... Uh, oppresses the other by uh, referring to them as less than less than human <clears throat> vermin or uh, rats or um, uh, various various ways but when we embrace our common humanity the heart wants to connect not only wants to but um, there is uh it's hard to shut it off isn't that interesting this is what naturally comes out when we see someone suffer or the mirror neurons in our brain uh get fired so that if you see somebody stub their toe it hurts you in that and you go ouch you know just the other the other night was it yeah, it was last night. Um, if you happen to watch the the Warrior game, yes, they're just like me. Um, and there was one, um, and of course, I was having complete compassion for the other side. You know. But in uh, in one sequence, the um, one of the Warrior players, Clay Thompson. Uh, accidentally was kneed in the head. And how many people saw that last night? You know? What was your response? You know, oh, ah! And every time they played it, it was, ooh, ah! You know? It's amazing. It's like, I, it's, it would be hard to see that, imagine, and, and just say, oh, yeah, that's too bad. It's like, ooh, ah! That's why we pay money to go to movies to get that resonance of, oh, yeah, come on, you can do it. Oh, no, yay, yeah, oh, ah, ooh, ah. You know, we're wired up that way. We just connect without even realizing it. And we pay good money to get our emotions tossed all over the place because as soon as you have a little bit of character development and there's a connection with this being which is just pixels on a screen when you get down to it, there's this emotional connection that takes you on a ride because we're wired up to care. Now, it's true, of course, that uh, on one hand, that other person in front of you is not just like you. They have their own, I'm getting a little cramp here, they have their own history, 
they have their own conditioning. They have their own uh, genetics. They have uh, their own uh, day that might have gone well or not gone well. And on one level, we are completely unique. So actually nobody can understand what your exact exact reality is. They might have a sense, they might approximate it, or have their own version of it. But on one hand, we go through this life uh, very much in our own reality that nobody can know exactly or precisely. And as I've said here many times, you know, when, when the thought comes, you know, how could they have done that? You know, and there's this self-righteousness, you know, oh my God, how could they do that? It, it, if you go a bit deeper and you say, oh, how could they do that? And you just try to understand, imagine what their reality is, then the heart can open. But ultimately, it's not possible to know exactly. But what is this just like me? It comes down to very simply that just like me, all beings want to be happy and all beings want to be free of suffering. And everything else is just details. But when you meet in that place, just like me, this human being or this yogurt bacillus, if you, if you want to go that far, uh, wants to be happy and doesn't want to suffer. There's all you need for connection. We're all given, uh, in Buddhist psychology, in uh, Abhidhamma, uh, Buddhist psychology, we are um, given, um, f- we have in our repertoire 52 mental factors. Some of them are wholesome factors, some of them are unwholesome factors or fa- qualities that cause suffering. Some of them are neither wholesome nor unwholesome. But that's the, the, the basic deck that you're dealt of 52 mental factors. And we all have our own variations of it, but um, what the Buddha, one of the brilliances of many that the Buddha discovered is, oh, these are how these factors seem to go together. These are how they can be weakened. These are how they can be strengthened. And everybody has their own particular combination of mental factors, but there are certain principles of how they operate. And the underlying principle, as the Buddha said, is look for yourself and see what leads to suffering. And if you don't want to suffer, then abandon those habits and see what leads to happiness. And if you want to, 
experience happiness, then cultivate these qualities and factors. <clears throat> That's where the just like me comes in. And every day we read in the newspapers just how much hatred, oppression, cruelty, fear comes out of missing that simple fact, just like me. And how much compassion, love, nobility, inspiration is the result of understanding just like me. Might look different on the outside, but just like me. And there can be so many possibilities in this lifetime of who you are and what your circumstances are. Have you ever thought of that? How did, how did this show ever come about? One of my favorite books, uh, perhaps some of you are familiar with it, the Herman Hesse book, Steppenwolf. How many people read Steppenwolf? A great book, and in towards the end of 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 that that book, uh, was it Harry Haller? I think was the protagonist's name. Goes into uh, this magic theater, and it's it says magic theater. Well, I'm just getting goosebumps as I talk about it. Magic theater for madmen only, and he goes in, and there in front of him are. Many, 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 many doors. He goes into one door, and there he is, you know, a uh, an aristocrat, and having uh, uh, having the the high life and uh, all the all the pleasures. You know, he goes in there for a while, steps out, goes in another door. A beggar, oppressed. Uh, goes in another door, uh, you know, a kind of a beautiful woman uh, model, another door, and one after another, he just sees for himself all the many possibilities that this life could offer. Have you ever thought of that? All the 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 mysterious factors that just dealt the dice your way and came out as you, which has never been here before, never another you just like you. But with all of those possibilities, the bottom line of just like me still holds. And something that I reflect on along with this, along with the Steppenwolf theme, at the end of our life, if you, if you relate to this, if you've had, if you relate to more than one lifetime, at the end of this life, 
of this law, hopefully long, whether it's uh, 50, 60, 80, 90 years. And there you are taking your last breath. And then this story has ended. Many, 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 many times. As the Buddha said, more than all the four oceans are the tears you've shed in your countless lifetimes. Higher than the highest mountain, Mount Meru, are the bones that you've that could be stacked up for all your incarnations. Now, isn't that amazing? If you think how many times you've gone through a whole lifetime through that door in the magic theater and you've forgotten. And then all the people that mattered so much to you that you couldn't Imagine living without. Do you remember the last time? Or five times ago? It's just a reflection I like to play around with a lot. Just seeing, on the one hand, this is, this is the one lifetime you have to be present for, so don't miss it. And on the other just a little blip, one little movie reel finished, stack up on the, on the limbo shelf. Time for a new one, you know. But even then, with all the infinite possibilities, there's still that bottom line connection, just like me, this being in front of me, wants to be happy, does not want to suffer. Just like me. So I want to, uh, I think, to close this part, uh, share with you, uh, lead you through a uh, practice in compassion on, on this that, um, that Tupton Jimpa offers in his book. So um, just settle back and... Uh, and let yourself uh, embrace your common humanity, this just like me, and then we can check in a little bit. So you can relax and um, gently allow your eyes to close. Unless you're gonna fall asleep, then you can open them, but, mm, or take some deeper breaths. And first, Imagine someone who you hold dear, someone you find it easy to care about and love. Could be a family member, child, parent, grandparent, close friend. Could be a, a pet. And don't just think about this object of your affa affection in the abstract. See if you can feel their presence Now notice any pleasant feelings that 
that come to you as you picture this dear one. And now imagine being this person or this being and see if it's possible or see how easy it is for you to acknowledge that he or she has the same aspiration for genuine happiness that you do, just like you. As you imagine being this person, just try to inhabit that reality that they have the same genuine aspiration for happiness that you have. Now bring to mind another person, someone you recognize but have not had significant contact with. This is called the neutral category in, uh, in heart practices in our retreats. Someone who you don't have any special sense of clo- closeness. Think of a real person that you might see regularly Maybe someone you see at work or in your class or someone who works at your local cafe or library. Might be a neighbor that you don't have any particular connection with. And notice the feelings that may arise in you as you picture this person. And... See how they might be quite different from the ones you felt for your loved one. Usually we don't concern ourselves with the thought of whether or not such a person is happy. And even when we happen to interact with them, we don't give much thought to what might be their situation. But now... Try to imagine being this person. Imagine their life, their hopes and fears, which are every bit as real, multi-layered, and diverse as your own. Just imagine being them and recognize that profound similarity between yourself and them at the fundamental human level and reflect, just like me, this person wishes to achieve happiness and avoid suffering. You might take a nice breath. And now bring to mind a person with whom you may have some difficulty. Someone who irritates or annoys you. Someone who may have done you harm. Or someone you think takes satisfaction in your misfortune. And picture this person in front of you.
And if as a result of imagining them you happen to experience uncomfortable feelings, just acknowledge them. You might remember a painful interaction with them or how you felt about then about the, the feelings that arise in you. Don't suppress the feelings. Don't reinforce them by trying too hard to recall the incident. And now put yourself in this person's shoes for a moment, recognizing that he or she is an object of deep concern to someone They might be a parent or a spouse, a child or a friend of someone. And acknowledge that this person has the same fundamental aspiration for happiness that you have. Just like me. Just like me, they wish to be happy and avoid suffering. And let your mind settle in this awareness for about 20 or 30 seconds. I'll be quiet for a moment. Now, finally, picture the three people or beings together in front of you and reflect on the fact that they equally share a basic yearning to be happy and free from suffering. And just see, on this level, there's no difference between these three. In this fundamental respect, they're all exactly the same. See if you can relate to each of these three from that perspective, from this basis of wanting to be happy that we all share. And with this aspiration for happiness and wish to be free of suffering, just see that aspiration is a common bond that unites us with all other beings and let your mind abide in this awareness for a while. With this deep recognition that the wish for happiness and the wish to overcome suffering are common to all, silently repeat this phrase, just like me, all others aspire to happiness and wish to overcome suffering. Just like me.
So we have little time for any comments or uh, questions or anything that might come up from that. And Andrew can take around the mic. Yes, um, your talk made me think of this movie. I saw a wonderful movie called Ex Machina. And the, the thing about that movie is it's the distinction between a, a human and a, a beautiful artificial intelligence being. And I'm not going to spoil the movie for those of us who haven't seen it. But the, the point was that there's, the robot gate had a chance to show compassion to a human. Now, I'm not going to say whether or not she did, but that was really a, a very deep, um, you know, uh, really touched me about what, what ultimately is the distinction between us and, you know, in the future, no doubt, into artificial intelligent beings. And I, our capacity for compassion is indeed a, a wonderful trait of our species. Thank you. I was wondering what your thoughts were. Um, there, there, there's an, another side to this that I've seen where sort of when we see something that we don't like about ourselves in another person, we tend to react especially strong to that. Like, you know, if, if, if I'm very judgmental and I see somebody else being judgmental, I really don't like that they're judgmental because it sort of brings that up in me. Um, I guess I was curious what your thoughts were on that and how to sort of spin that in a more compassionate fashion. Yeah, and it's so... Actually, it's something to uh, to just be on the lookout for if somebody really presses your buttons. You might just take a look and see why they press your buttons so much and maybe what they activate that's hard for you to see in yourself. And then the work is, as he beautifully talks about, and we've talked about here a number of times, is it possible to open to that part of your humanity? That until you do, until you learn to open up to the whole package including your humanness in those places that say, oh no, I don't want to be human like that. Or everybody else can be, but not me. Until you do, when you see it out there, it's going to activate that in you. And you split from them and you split from yourself. So if something gets very sensitively triggered, there's, some, uh, there's a clue there. There might be something to work on. Can I open up to that part of being human in here? Because the more you can open it up in here, the more you can um, be relaxed and see, oh, just like me, that person is human in that way. Uh, there's a lot of really useful information there. But compassion is the key. Maybe last one. Um, I find it like a little really, closer. 
Oh, I find it really easy to do these practices when I'm on my own or if I'm practicing here with a friend. It's like so beautiful to evoke this compassion. And then like I get, I'm at work and I'm talking to a thousand different people and, you know, managing all these different things or whatever, you know, the things that we do in the everyday. And I probably like a lot of people don't often have time to take breaks and just even take some of that mindfulness time. And that's something I'm working on in my own schedule. But, you know, in the, I guess my question is in the busyness of the everyday where we don't have necessarily even 15 minutes to do a compassion practice like that, how can you evoke that sense of just like me? Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the practicum work. Um, well, first to see, it's so much harder when you're stressed, and to have compassion for that predicament, um, and cut yourself a little bit more slack if you haven't slept, if you've got too much on your plate, if you're feeling pressured, it's more likely and more understandable that you might not be as spacious. It's all about being having enough space to see clearly. Um, and the same with others who are maybe at work and stressed and going. So there you are in this stew of what we call normal reality as everybody is kind of stressed out rubbing against each other the wrong way. Um, so one, to have a little bit more spaciousness around that and see, oh, this is hard. And then, um, if possible, there might be other ways than taking 15 minutes and doing a self-compassion practice. It might be, if you, if you can start hooking up the frenetic feeling inside with the the connecting dot time to uh, take uh, take a few moments for myself and go to the bathroom and close the stall if nothing else you know or put your hand on your heart and take three mindful breaths it doesn't take going on a retreat or going for a, a half an hour sit or a 15 minute sit just even to come back and feel yourself here and simply notice, oh, freaking out, that's what's happening, you know. Or having a meltdown. Sometimes I'll say, oh, it's meltdown Buddha right now, you know. Just to see that and have a little bit of space. You know, my, my colleague Sylvia Borstein has a, a, a great metaphor. She says, there might be a thick thunderstorm but all it takes is one little shaft of sunlight in that picture to see, oh, there's another way. Just bringing a little bit of awareness and uh, make it as a little experiment with yourself to come back. Oh, can I be kind to myself? And you've, oh, we haven't done the, the mindful self-compassion break, which we've, we've done here a bit. Uh, recently, just uh, once again, I don't think you were here for it. Put your hand on your heart right now and uh, take a breath. 
and this is a three-sentence, very quick practice. Oh, this is a moment of suffering. Or you might say, oh, this is hard right now. Suffering is a part of life. And you might think of all the people who are stressed out like you are right now. And may I hold my suffering with kindness and compassion. Fifteen seconds, just like that, to come back to yourself. And everybody will be so glad that you did, even if they don't know it. Yeah. Okay, so let's close with a just very, once again, brief loving kindness. Be kind. May I see just like me. And may I hold my own humanness with kindness and compassion. May I learn to share my love well. And may all feel their goodness and see themselves in others and others in themselves. And may our coming here together ripple out and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings know the highest happiness and peace. So, thank you very much for your attention. You might practice that this week, just as a little game, just like me. Got it? Okay, maybe we'll check in next week. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.